0: All right. Thanks, Matt. Hey, everybody. How are y'all? Good. Great to have you here this morning. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here today. Um, And here's what I've been praying for as we dive into this question of Jesus. Um, I hope today uh, that you find a very specific place uh, where you can grow in your trust and, and, and faith in Jesus. Um, and, and, And here's what I mean by a very specific place. What we're going to be talking about today is scary things, right? And if you read ahead in the text, you'll see what we're talking about. But here's what I mean by scary things. It's those things that we don't know that scare us. Right, those those unexpected things, the things that we don't know that are coming, the things that we don't know what they are. Like, and it's that, like for example, it's like that stuff at night, that sound that you hear that you don't know what it is. Right, and it kind of gets your heart racing a little bit, kind of gets the anxiety up a little high, kind of gets the, the the blood pressure up a little bit more, right? That kind of scary stuff, because today that's what we're going to see. We're going to see what what most people, myself included, uh, considers to be a scary part of Scripture, that when we imagine that happening, what we're going to see today, and we put ourselves in that story, the first response is often, that's scary, right? But here's what we're going to see. We're going to see what Jesus has to do with those scary things what Jesus' role in those scary things are, those things that we don't know. And so if you want to grow in your trust in that area about what Jesus has to do in those areas where we don't know, those areas of our life that scare us, and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in, question, we're going to be in verses uh, 26 through 39. And like I said, if, if, if you've read the passage before, you will see what I mean when I say it's scary stuff, right? And so what I want to do is I want to tell you a little bit about some of the scary things that happened to me as y'all are turning there and as we're kind of getting in the context of this because, because I'm going to give you a little intro. We're talking about demons today, right? Now, I say that. Let me, let me, let me kind of rephrase that a little bit. We're talking about Jesus today, in the context of demons demons are simply the context as we see jesus Show us more of who he is so that we can grow to trust him more. Now, I was a missionary uh, for a few years, for about five years. And, and, and the particular work that I did is I worked with international pastors who wanted to plant churches in their own communities. And so we would travel uh, internationally, take a team with us. We'd do door-to-door evangelism, whatever, whatever ways we could to kind of get the gospel out there. So that when people said yes to Jesus, there would be a pastor right there in their community um, that would be available to, to start this church and to disciple them. And so, so that's what we did. And because of that, I got to travel to some really cool and sometimes some really remote places, right? Uh, I, I got to do a mission trip in Acapulco. That was fun, right? But I also got to do a mission trip uh, like in the deep villages of Cameroon, where we had to check in with the, the, the local administration like the official government and then we had to check in with the tribal government where we had to I had to meet the king of the area who by the way gave me a goat when we left right um, didn't quite know how that was going to work with customs, um, so uh, so it's fun. But but on one particular trip, so I got to see God do some amazing things, some really some mind blowing things, and honestly, some things that scared me. On one particular trip, I was in Africa, like in Cameroon, and and it was on this trip where we were kind of going into the into the bush, and and I had a we had this this van, well you put quotation marks van uh, that we were traveling through with our team, and we're on this dirt road, bumpy road, and we kind of come to this village. And we had to stop because all of the village was meeting in the center of the village, the only place that the road went through. And so we did what any group of Americans would do. We got out to see what was going on, right? Like, what's, what's going on in this village? And here's what we discovered. The, the, the juju was in town. Now, the juju is the witch doctor, right? And so here's what would happen when the juju would come to town. And the Juju would come to town, he'd come to town, and, and, and I just want you to picture this guy because he looked, I mean, picture something like from Indiana Jones, very tribal dress. He had this mask on that was, if, if you can kind of, a lion. if you put together a lion and a demon together, that's the face that was on here, like with the mane and everything. And it was him, and he had this group of guys walking around with sticks with him. And, and our translator said, he's the juju, and whenever he comes into the crowd, people bow to him. Uh, and if you don't bow, that's what the guys with sticks are for. They hit you until you bow. And he said, and it's our custom, it, it's paying respect to him and to his gods. And this is what the town did. And so as the juju was coming through, the crowd was there, and they would bow. And, you know, it was, there was all this emotion with it and stuff. And so, so we were like, okay, seeing it, we're good. We started heading back to the van. Well, the, 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 the group got separated. I had one group that was closer to the van, and there was a smaller group of our team that was further off. And as they were trying to make their way to the van, the juju saw them. We kind of stood out in the crowd, right? And he saw them, and he started making his way toward them. And and as they did, now, the missions organization I worked with, the the president of the organization was actually on this trip, and he was with that other small team. So he had seen this stuff before. He knew what to do. I got the team to the van, and then we all just stood there and watched what was about to happen. Because as the juju approached, the crowd bowed, and the leader turned to our team. He said, don't bow. We don't bow before false gods." And so they all just stood there. And the juju came right up to the leader. I don't know how he knew he was the leader, but he did. He came right up to him, and the guys had their sticks, and he just looked at him, and he said, Jesus is Lord. This guy fell to his back, and his arms and legs started kicking like a beetle stuck on its back, just at the mention of Jesus' name. Crowd parted. We got in the van, drove off. Another time, this time I was in uh, South America, and a woman, we were working with a medical clinic. And just for future note, if you ever work with a medical clinic before, one of the things that I learned about working with a medical clinic is that give people medicine before you share the gospel with them. When we did that, that was apparently shocking to a lot of people. Other, other people had come through and said, we will give you medicine if... If you say yes to Jesus, then we'll give you the medicine. We did it the opposite way around. And so, so this woman came, and, and she just had kind of general complaints of, of feeling bad, of aches and pains, and couldn't figure out what it was. And so the doctors met with her and, and like did a complete check of, of, of her, and they were like, we don't, we don't see anything wrong. And so before she left, the, one of the doctors said, hey, would you mind... Do you want to hear about Jesus and maybe have some people pray for you? And she said, Yes, I would. And so 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 we sat down with her and shared the gospel with her. And as she said yes to Jesus, immediately her body went into convulsions. Like grand mall seizure type conversions. The doctors picked her up, put her on a gurney. There was a pastor with us, the local pastor there that we were looking to start a church in his in his community. And he had seen this before, and he knew what to do, and he said, everyone pray. And so we started praying. Like, I was praying. Somebody was reading Scripture out loud. Somebody was singing. Like, it was everything we knew to do. We just started doing it, right? Because here's what was was interesting. The doctors put her on this gurney, hooked her up to all these wires, and they were like, her vitals are normal. Her heart rate was normal. Her blood pressure was normal. But her body was not normal. Her body was freaking out. And so what we noticed is that whenever we said Jesus is Lord and we would touch her arm, her arm would be still. And then as soon as we let go, her arm would start convulsing again. Whenever we'd say Jesus is Lord and we would touch her foot, her leg would be still. And as soon as we let go, her leg would start convulsing again. We're like, well, we're in a problem because we can't just like go through our life with our hand on her pronouncing Jesus is Lord. Like something's got to happen. This woman's sister came in. And we said, Do you know like what this could be? And she said, Yes, she's a witch. And she said, She has a ring on her hand that is the the symbol of her coven. And it was like, it was scary. It was like a demon eating its tail. I mean, a snake eating its tail with ruby, with little ruby eyes. I mean, it's stuff that you see that you kind of make fun of, but for her, it was a symbol of her being a witch, and the pastor said, take the ring off of her finger. So we took the ring off of her finger and the convulsion stopped. And she came to, she said yes to Jesus and she prayed with us and, and the pastor said the demons didn't want to let her go. But the name of Jesus is more powerful. And so even as I share these things, like like it's it's a little bit scary, isn't it? It's easy to, to see these things and to get scared by, by, by what's going on because it's easy to think, gosh, I wouldn't know what to do if that happened. And, you know, not to give anything away, but I've been through stuff like that before, and oftentimes I still don't know what to do, right? Like, like it's still scary. There are still things that we don't know. But, but in that, here's the stuff that scares us. Like, we're scared by what we don't know. Right? We're scared by what we don't know. We're scared by the sound in the night. Right Now all of y'all this week are going to think it's a demon, right? Like when you hear the, the sound in the middle of the night. Just, just say, Jesus is Lord. And if it happens, it's just a squirrel again, right? If it happens again, it's just a squirrel, right? Like, like this is what you're going to hear, the sound in the night. It's it's a thing that that for the kids who are listening, like I remember when I was a kid, the closet was the scariest place in my room at night. And if it was open just a little bit, like... There's no telling what was in there, right? Like that stuff can be scary. Maybe when you get the diagnosis and you don't know what it means, it can be scary. Maybe maybe too, you when you don't know what tomorrow looks like without a job, it can be scary. Right? And when we don't know, we can be scared. But y'all, here's the deal because today we're going to see Jesus enter one of these enter one of these situations, enter one of these moments where people don't know what to do. And as he does we're going to see him in complete control complete control and we're going to see jesus grow us and invite us to trust him more in those scary times to invite us more to trust the control that he has. So 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 with that let me let me let me tell you this this is where we're going to go that when when we don't know we can trust that Jesus is still in control, right? That's what we're going to see. I wanted to, to paint that picture before we go in so that we know where we're where we're going in this, but that's what we're going to see and, and where we pick up, right? This is where Jesus is. He has just gone across the water with his disciples. He's just calmed the storm, and they're heading to this place called the Gerasenes. All right, and so, so let's pick up in verse 26. Verse 26 says this. It says, Then he sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out on the land, there, he, uh, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Now, some gospel accounts say it was two men. Right, But Luke is a doctor, right? And so he wants us to understand the diagnosis here, that this is a man who had demons. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Now, remember, Luke, the writer of this gospel, like I said, is a doctor. And so, so he's used to kind of diagnosing situations. He's used to seeing people and saying, here's what's wrong with them. With this guy, it's something that the medical community doesn't deal with, Right? He says, he says, this guy has demons because he knows all the medical conditions and he knows this guy didn't have that. He's got, he's got demons, right? And these demons that this guy have, have, have led him from a place of life to a place of death. Literally, he is among the tombs. And and in scripture, when we see death, we see that death is, is this picture of an ultimate separation, right? Next week, we're going to see Jesus weep over death. Because he knows that it is this picture of the final result of sin, of unbelief, is death and separation. And here, that's what we see, because we see this guy is separated from clothes... He didn't have any type of protection on him. He is separated from his home, that he is surrounded by death. I mean, he probably even smells like death. Like if your Bible allowed you to smell what was going on, I can't imagine this guy smelling uh, like some good essential oils, right? Like, like he, he probably has this smell of death about him and he is literally in the place of death. And he lives among the dead. Now Now, as we go through this, What I hope to do is to share a little bit about about what I've learned in dealing with spiritual warfare and, in particular, dealing with the demonic. And here's one of the things that I've seen time and time again, and it's this, is that demons thrive around separation, right? And I don't mean that they thrive when you're alone. That's different. They thrive around separation, right? In the Scriptures, we see that Jesus brings life and Satan brings death. Because right? Jesus conquered death at the resurrection. We see, we see that Jesus brings light and Satan brings darkness. We see that, that that Jesus brings truth and Satan brings lies. And all of these things cause the people of God to separate from one another, right? right. Everything that Satan brings causes separation. Disunity, discord, division. That's the stuff that Satan brings. Jesus brings unity and, and, and patience and mercy and kindness. That's the stuff that, that, that Jesus brings. Demons thrive in the stuff that Satan brings. Demons thrive in this stuff that separates us it is their playground and luke knows this and he highlights this for us to see that this guy this guy has been a playground for demons because he is alone and he is empty and he is living among the dead he is this picture of y'all look this is what demons thrive around and look at what happens when the one who is light steps into that look at verse 28 Verse 28 says this, And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now notice what this tormented man calls Jesus. He calls him Son of the Most High God. Right? So what, is, what does this mean? Like, why would, why would this do that? Here's what it means. It means that this man knows who Jesus is. Well, it may not be this man who knows who Jesus is, but it is the demons inside this man who know who Jesus is. Right? Because you'll see, you see, we already know something else about demons. Not only do they thrive in separations. The book of James says this, and y'all, this is the scary stuff too. The book of James says this it says even the demons believe and shudder even the demons believe that God is one is the point that that James is making even the demons believe that Jesus is God and their response is fear they fear the name of Jesus because they know he is the son of the most high God and this is this little glimpse right, into the spiritual world that shows us something very, very clear that demons know who Jesus is. They recognize him and they fear him. The juju that I told you about, you know, the witch doctor that was going through town, he may have never heard the name of Jesus before, but you know who did? The gods that he worshiped did. They were the ones that were responding To the simple statement, Jesus is Lord. You see, they're the ones who cowered before the mention of Jesus' name. You see, demons know who Jesus is, and they're afraid of him. And that's another great thing that we know about about demons. Not only do they thrive in separation, they know Jesus. And, I mean, they probably know him better than we do. Get that. Because they're on the other side of this spiritual world. And they are afraid of his name. But now Luke is going to show us something about how this conversation gets started. When you read this, uh, what you see is, is you get this little introduction in these verses. And then Luke gives you a little backstory about how they got there. Look at verse 29. It says, uh, let's see, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of this man, which means Jesus showed up to the garrison, saw this man, and Jesus rightly diagnosed that he has demons, which is why Luke knew that he had demons, right? Luke might be looking at him thinking, ah, oh, you know, he's, he's, he's just crazy, right? He's, he's insane. Maybe he's drunk. Maybe he's high. Like, like, what's wrong with him? And Jesus said, no, 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 Luke. Like, it's none of those. This guy's got demons, Right? And these demons begged Jesus to stop because he rightly diagnosed them. You see, Jesus saw him and recognized that he was a human that needed to be set free. Right? Free from the demons inside of him. As I've been reading through the Gospels, just on my own personal time, it's one of the things I've noticed about Jesus, is that he is brilliant at pinpointing the walls that people have put up between themselves and him. And he's brilliant about, about showing them a way through that. And that's what he's doing here. He's showing this guy a, a way to be free. And so here's some more of his backstory. in verse, The rest of verse 29. It says, For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the, into the desert. And so, man, this is an incredible backstory, right? If you were making this film, like, like this is the part that, that Marvel is great at, right? Like, like, this is the superhuman stuff that we see, that, that men tried to bind him, that chains tried to bind him, but yet, supernaturally, he was able to break that, and he would flee into the desert, again, the place where there is no lives, no life, and this, this demon would carry him to this place again and again and again without life, the tombs, the desert. And so here's what I find interesting about this, this interaction. Here's where I paused in, in my study of this and my preparation of this is I caught myself wanting to know something about this guy. I caught myself wanting to know, how did he get these demons? Right? Like, what did he do? Did he put a ring on his finger? What, what did he do? And, 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 and part of it is, you know, I want to know, did he give his life over to say, what did he do so that I know not to do it, Right? That's one part of it. But to be vulnerable here for just a minute, there's this other part. Because if I knew what he did, there's a part of my soul that would condemn him for doing it. That's in there. go, well, of course you got demons, buddy. Look at what you did. Right? Here's what's interesting. Neither Luke nor Jesus condemn him at all. Their goal is to see him set free. Right, You see, neither Luke nor Jesus do this. Their, their job is not to condemn. Their job is to heal. Right Now, here's what I mean by condemn. Condemn means to disapprove. It means to censor. It means to literally hold someone down, which is why I think Luke said, hey, listen, people tried to hold him down. And guess what? It didn't work. They tried to dogpile him. Didn't work. They tried to, to tie him up. It didn't work. To hold this guy down, it didn't work. And so you see, condemnation from these men who, who tried to bind him is something that Luke wants to draw our attention to. They put him in chains and shackles, and they treated him like a prisoner, which is the essence and definition of condemnation. And yet, it didn't work. You see, they thought they had the power to control something they didn't know, and the way they thought to control it was to condemn it. That was a big mistake, right? Because it didn't work. And something else that I've seen is that demons thrive around that too. Demons thrive around condemnation. Oh, they love it when we put each other down. They love it when we put other people down. They love it when we offer anything except freedom and healing. They love it. They love it when we try and figure out what they did so that we can put them down and put them out for doing it, not offer healing and hope. Demons thrive when we disapprove and when we put someone someone down. Our Jesus doesn't do this. Even when confronted with a woman caught in adultery, he says, I don't condemn you. He offered her hope and he offered her healing. Now, I know some of us, are like well, hold on, just a second. Like we're actually supposed to condemn some, right? Like we're supposed to judge, right? Didn't the Bible tell us to call out other people's sin? Didn't the Bible say if someone sinned against you, you go and you tell them and 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 and, and you do all that? Isn't that require some sort of condemnation? I mean, if you follow Matthew eighteen at the end of it, like like if they don't repent, like you're to treat them like a non-believer. That is condemnation. Well, well, here's the deal. Jesus taught about that. And yes, that process is good and it is right. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. So a few chapters before Matthew 18. Jesus said this. He said, take the plank out of your own eye and you'll see clearly to remove the speck in someone else's. Now notice the the emphasis there by Jesus. You're the one with the plank or some translations say the log. Picture a log. Right? Right? You've got that in your eye. Picture sawdust. That's what they've got in their eye. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, right? But how many of us have gotten that reversed? Right? We've said, I've got a speck in my eye, but you, brother, you, sister, you have got a log and you have got to deal with it. You know what that is? That's condemnation. When we get it the way Jesus asked us to get it, we're the ones with a log in our eyes. They've got a speck. You know what we can offer people? We offer people healing then. Because the perspective is right. We offer healing to others without condemnation. I kind of came up with this formula. That if you feel the need to judge someone, if you feel the need to condemn someone, go ahead and write out a hundred of your sins to their one. I think that's a pretty good ratio of log to sawdust, don't you? How many of you are like, I can't do that? That's my point. If you can't do that, then please don't condemn. When you can do that, then you're ready to have the conversation. You hear me? I See, y'all are already practicing. That's good. You're being quiet. That's good, right? No, I mean, does that make sense? Do you hear me on that? Let me ask you this. Is it hard? Yeah, it's really hard. Let's look at this is too convicting. Let's move on. Verse 30. Verse 30. Then Jesus asked him, This is our question. What is your name? Right? That's, that's our question. What is your name? Here's what names represented in scripture. And oftentimes a name talks about someone's story. It's almost like this prophetic calling over their life. Jesus's name means Savior. When they named him Jesus, it was it was to talk about, uh, to show kind of how his life was going to play out. But names also show that, that you know someone. It shows knowledge. When you know someone's name, you know who they are. And in some cases, it even means you have power over them. And so when Jesus is asking this person's name, it is because he knows them. And, and it It is this this pathway of knowledge. You know, I see this here. Like when people visit the first time and somebody knows their name, that's great. But when they visit the second time and, and they walk in and somebody's like, hey, Eric, great to see you again. They're like, oh, these people know me, right? Names mean you know someone and it means that you know what's going on. Names help people feel known. And it's powerful because look at the response in verse 30. Verse 30 says this, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for for many demons had entered him. Legion is this Roman military term, and it means anywhere from 3,000 soldiers to 6,000 soldiers. And so this one guy had anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 demons attached to him. That explains the chains and the dog pile situation, right? Like that's a lot. That's a lot of power there. Look at verse 31. It says, and they begged him not to command them to depart to the abyss. Now notice <clears throat> notice what these gem- demons do with Jesus. Like, listen, we have thousands of demons standing in front of, in, in front of Jesus. And what do they do? Do they fight like they did when they were, when they were tried, tried to be dogpiled? No. Do they, do they, do they break free when, when, when they were tried to be chained? Do they run away? No. What they did when they were standing in front of Jesus is they begged. They begged for Jesus to get this, to have mercy on them. The demons know the character of Jesus. And they begged him to have mercy on him. They begged Jesus not to give them a command because you see, demons know something that we can forget, especially when we're scared, especially when we don't know what's going on. The demons know that Jesus is in control. That at the mention of his words, it is a command for them. They know that Jesus is in control. And now Jesus is going to show that he's in control. Because watch this in verse 32. Verse 32 says, Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter into these. And so he gave them uh, permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And people have pondered what this means, and here's the general consensus. We don't know. We don't know, right? Like, like there is this, 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 this theme in Scripture, demons don't particularly like water. I don't know what that's about, but they don't, right? Like, like there's all these theories, but Luke is just saying, y'all, this is what happened. Jesus was merciful. They said, show us mercy. Don't send us into the abyss. And Jesus, it looks like, showed them mercy. But here's what we see. Y'all, imagine this guy standing there with thousands of demons in him. All of them screaming and shrieking and begging Jesus to stop. And, And they say, please don't do this. And Jesus just points. Jesus just says, go. And they all obey. Every single one of them obeys the command of Jesus. Y'all, here's what Luke is showing us. We can get caught up in the pigs and the water and the abyss and all that stuff. Jesus is showing, I mean, while well, Jesus is showing us through Luke that he is in control. He's got this. Whatever it is that scares you in the middle of the night, whatever it is that scares you about tomorrow, Jesus has got this. He is in control. If if thousands of demons respond to his simple command, if, 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 if I can stand up here and say, I've seen demons respond to just the mention of his name, let me ask you this, is what scares you that powerful? Is what scares you more powerful than 6,000 demons? Probably not, even though it seems like it. And what that thing is that scares you, what that list of things are that scares you, Jesus is in control. Look at what happens to this guy, verse 34. It says, it says And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people went out to see what happened. And they came to Jesus and found the, man who did, uh, whom, found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in, in, in his right mind, and they were afraid. In other words, everything these demons brought to separate from him, Jesus brought them back. He's now clothed. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus like a disciple. He's now around people because Jesus has his disciples with him. He's got, he's got home. He's got family. Everything that Satan took, Jesus has restored. You see, this man went from supernaturally fighting to sitting at the feet of Jesus, Right? He's now a disciple. He went from being possessed by demons to being a disciple. He went from being separated to being with. That's what Jesus does. He restores what Satan destroys. Now notice what it did to the townspeople, though. Now they're the ones afraid. They don't know what to do with this. First of all, they don't have anything to eat. All the pigs are drowned, right? Most, most people believe Gerasenes wasn't a Jewish settlement, which is why they were pigs, because uh, Jewish Jewish people don't don't eat pigs, they don't associate with pigs, and so, um, so so it's obviously not a Jewish settlement. And so, so so they got nothing to eat. They're scared. They don't know what's going on, in, in, in seeing this. So they have the same opportunity that we do is to learn to trust that Jesus is in control. Because because look at what they choose in verse thirty six. It says this. It says, And those who had seen it told how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the surrounding country and the garrisons asked him, Jesus, to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So they got into the boat and returned. The crowds didn't want Jesus to be in control. Y'all, in this story, we are them. We are them seeing this opportunity. Do we want to trust that Jesus is in control or do we want him to go away? We are them. Look at verse 38. It says, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You see, Jesus asked this man to stay in his town so that he could declare what Jesus had done, so that he could declare, Jesus has set me free and that he could declare to those who were scared that Jesus is in control. Jesus wanted this guy to be a signpost that continued to point back to him, to Jesus. That's that's why Jesus wanted this guy to stay. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion here in just a bit. And and today, it is an invitation for you to trust that Jesus is in control of your life. And and like I said, as I prayed, I believe there is a specific thing that you have been holding on to in fear, a specific thing that that you have been scared of, a specific thing that that you don't know how it's going to play out. You don't know what it's going to do. That's the thing that Jesus, I think, is inviting you to trust that he is in control of. The thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night. The thing that gets your heart racing, your blood pressure up, your anxiety high. That's the thing that Jesus is inviting you to trust him, that he is in control. Because when when we're scared, we can trust that Jesus is in control. So let me ask you this question, what scares you? Right? Maybe this question scares you. Right? Maybe you haven't thought about what scares you. You've just let it kind of linger out there. Or maybe, as we've been talking, there's another question that has scared you that I want to address real quick. It's like, hey, so can can I be possessed by demons? Can I, I know you said I'm the crowd, but could I be this guy? And I don't want to give you false hope here today. I want to say it depends. It depends. You see... It depends on who you have given your life to. When you say yes to Jesus, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which means, get this, you become part of the family of God. You become part of the church of Jesus Christ. You become part of this group of people that, filled with the Holy Spirit and you as an individual are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It means that, that somehow in the, in the way this works in the spiritual world is when you say yes to Jesus, uh, the scripture says that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, which means there's this place inside of your soul that God just fills with his spirit inside of you, which means demons can't occupy that space. Right? And so the answer to that question is, if you have said yes to Jesus, no, you cannot be possessed by demons. They can't fill you like they did this man. That's why when they left, this guy sat at Jesus' feet as a disciple. Right? This man was sitting there learning from Jesus, loving Jesus, following him, being a billboard for him. That's what happens. Now, if this is you, you can't be possessed by a demon. But if you have said so if you haven't said yes to Jesus, let today be the day that you do that. And, and I'll explain that a little bit more when we take communion. But for all, the, all those of us who have said yes to Jesus, here's a clear warning for you too. You can't be possessed by demons, but you sure can be oppressed by them. Y'all, they love, they love messing with God's people. They love bringing separation to God's people. They love bringing condemnation to God's people. And so I want to give you that clear warning that demons can divert us, right, from God's calling on our life by giving us something good instead of something godly right, to the, to the singles that are out there. I was listening to this woman teach one, and she said the funniest thing because, because she was talking to the single ladies in the crowd, and she says, listen, honey, I know he's hot, but so is hell. <laughs> right? She could say that, right? And I can quote her saying that, but, but her point was, he might be good, but is he godly? Right? Because Satan loves to give you something good instead of something godly, and it can divert you from God's calling on your life. They love to distract us. They love to, to lure us away from God's path with, with the, the temptations of power and sex and money, right? They, they love to disqualify us. They love to distract us. They, they love to amplify those negative voices in our head and keep us depressed. Right? Instead of living in the love and joy and freedom of Jesus. And so what I want us to do today when we come to this table, and whether you're here in person or whether you're virtually, you can do this too. When you come to this table, I want us to, 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 to either, if you're coming to this table for the first time and saying yes to Jesus, right, that he is the one who's going to lead your life, that you are giving your life to follow him and not yourself and certainly not some evil demonic uh, force out there, but that you are giving your life to Jesus. And that's all that saying yes to Jesus is. It's being this guy sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if you're doing that, then let today be the day that you make that declaration. You can come to this table because this table is for people that have said yes to Jesus. Right? And in coming to this table, when you say yes to Jesus, you are declaring that the Holy Spirit has filled you and and, and sealed you. And you can do that today. But for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, what scares you? And this is why this is an important question because that can be the open door to all kinds of oppression. It can be an open door to you trying to control instead of letting Jesus, who is already in control of the situation, instead of trusting him. And so for those of you who are drawing and taking notes and, and those of you who, who have your phone open or whatever, like I think there's power when we write stuff down. Write down what scares you. Label it. And then what I want you to do is what, what happened to the juju. I just want you to write Jesus as Lord over it. Write down what scares you and write, Jesus is Lord over it as a declaration to trust him. And so as a way to physically do that, when you come up here to the table, I want you to meditate on what that thing is that scares you. And by that, I mean just think about it. And I want you to think about leaving it here at the table and picking up this little cup of communion. And we're going to take it back and we're going to take communion together declaring that Jesus is Lord. Lord. And we're going to say it out loud, and we're going we're gonna to know it, and we're going to feel it, and we're going to take communion together. Are you all ready to do that? Let's pray. Jesus, um, you are good, and you are right, and you are true, and, and you are in control. And I pray for all of us. That thing that scares us, that thing that we don't know how it's going to play out, that thing that we don't know what it's going to do, I pray... Um, that you would bring that to our mind clearly so that we can write Jesus is Lord over it, so that we can take communion and publicly declare that Jesus is Lord over that thing and that we can leave this place trusting you more than we walked in. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, the way we do communion here is I do want you to think about that. They're going to play a little music for us. When you're ready, come up, uh, grab the little cup of, of juice and cracker, take it back to your seat, and we'll take it together, okay? And as you do, we're going to put a verse up on the slide, Colossians 1, 16 through 17, and it's something for you to think about and meditate on. It says, "For him, uh, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I couldn't think of a better verse about Jesus being in control than that, that he holds all things together. So when you're ready, come on up. All right, do, do you have in mind what scares you? Here's the the joy of taking communion together. Is that as a church, we get to make a declaration that Jesus is Lord. And so we're going to take communion, and we're going to celebrate his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And at the end of it, we're going to pronounce together that Jesus is Lord. Right? And so you can take this, open up the, the little cracker part. I'm using the term cracker loosely. His body broken for us. And the juice his blood shed for us. And in doing this, we make the declaration that we can say together in one of chords, say it with me, that Jesus is Lord. Let's say it again. Jesus is Lord. Father, may your name be great in this place. And it's in your son's name that we all declare Jesus is Lord. Amen. Church, I love you. I love being in the church with you. Um, I'm excited. Uh, Well, first of all, that was fun, wasn't it? Demons. Who knew, right? Um, uh, I'm excited, though, to see what it looks like as a church trusts Jesus more, um, because trust me, like you can't run out of of being able to trust Jesus. Like there's always something else. There'll be something tomorrow that you can pronounce Jesus as Lord over. There'll be something when you get home today that you can pronounce Jesus as Lord over. And gosh, won't it be awesome when we do? Have a great week. I love y'all. Sign up for something for Serve Asheville too. Bye. <laughs>